Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Now, part of the gig as an author is that you often appear at conferences, sometimes teaching, uh, sometimes doing a keynote address, sometimes meeting with um, aspiring authors and maybe critiquing their work or looking at, um, looking at their writing. And so over the years, I've had the opportunity to attend many conferences all over the world. And I remember I was at one a number of years ago and a lady spoke and, and just the way that she spoke, the passion that she had for inspiring, you know, upcoming authors was really, uh, was, was powerful. And so she's a great storyteller and a great author. And I'm really thrilled that she's going to be joining me here on the show today. Uh, her name is Eva Marie Everson, and she's a multiple award-winning author and speaker who hails from the picturesque Southern town of Sylvania, Georgia. She's president of Word Weavers International and the director of the Florida Christian Writers Conference. She enjoys coaching new authors through her company, Pen in Hand. Eva Marie and her husband make their home in Central Florida and are the parents of three fabulous children who have blessed them with the world's greatest grandchildren. I may have to, I don't know about that. My Maybe my greatest grandchildren are, are great. But anyway, Eva yeah. Marie, I'm so <laughs> thankful to, uh, to have you on. Thanks for joining me, uh, me here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's funny how if someone who doesn't have grandchildren reads that in the, in an intro, they just, they just go right through it. But if they have grandchildren, they pause. It's like, oh my no. goodness. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny. You know, it's like, I, mine are recent, the last couple of years, two little granddaughters. And Ooh. I was at a conference and this one lady uh, from uh, North Carolina, she's talking about grandchildren. She said, I don't know. Some of y'all have grand youngins. And I was like, that's what I want to call them, grand youngins. Like grand youngins, yeah. So anyway, so what are you called? That's the next question. Grandma, granny, what's your... You know what? I, yeah. I'm called something by, something different by each set. Oh, wow. That's yeah. confusing. Yeah, it, it's very confusing at times. And the funny thing is, is my husband is called something different as well. So um, he is... Uh, granddaddy and grandpa and papa and then i am mima and miss re it's it's kind of a it's a take on an old family name for oh, me okay uh-huh. and and then um and then mimi so <laughs> That's cool. i just have one and it's embarrassing to even say it but i will just because now people are curious if they're listening but my two-year-old granddaughter calls me geep oh i like that so that's my name now it's yeah. geep and it's so yeah, yeah. kind of weird because like where did that come from i'm not sure so but it sounds like a villain in a marvel uh comic <laughs> book but uh but anyway so that's that's kind of where i am at, at with that these days but uh, yeah but you know they call you that and everything's right with the world <laughs> call you anything and everything's right with the world you know the first because we try to we try to say things like you know grandmother or grandma or Mimi yeah. or whatever you know like come to Mimi, um, but then they just come up with their own little names. 
our own names. So yeah, yeah, no, it's fun. It and um, I guess that um, and I guess when we met, neither one of us had any grand grand young. No, back certainly in the day. It's not. Probably been <laughs> since I think we actually met in the late nineties, probably or well. No, actually, I'll tell you when we met. We met oh. in two thousand three. Wow, we met in 2003 at the uh, Blue Ridge Christian Mountains Conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, that's where we met. And uh, good memory. We, I mean, I each other laughing our heads off. You know that <laughs> that whole group that year. We were all just fun loving, and we talked about writing, but we mm. talked about it not only with a with a passion, but also with a giggle. <laughs> so it was just a, it was a really fun week that we spent together. Yeah, that was in North Carolina and in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. There is a conference there. I've been at many times, and you have as well, over the years. Um, and uh, and usually it's in May. I think the last few years it's been altered. Maybe it's a little later this year, but yeah. but usually in the spring, if people are interested, it's a good conference to go great to conference. Black Mountain. Yeah. yeah. And so, but since then, you have been venturing off and doing all sorts of interesting, <laughs> you know, books. You mentioned earlier before we're on the air that you have a children's book coming out. Also, you've yeah. done, you know, your fiction. I know you've done some nonfiction books just to inspire people over the years. And so there's a lot we can talk about. Let's just dive in with this okay. question. And that is when you kind of sit down to start a story, um, do you start with a dilemma maybe or or a question or a, a character what is it that sort of usually is the impetus for you to say i have to tell this story you know sometimes it's, you overhear something uh -huh. and uh other times um it's the first line will come to me just mm. out of nowhere a first line will come to me and i'll write it down i have no idea where it's going i have no idea what came before it but that that line just comes to me yeah and I'll write it down and then I'll start building on it. So I, I can look back and tell you that almost every single book, not all of them, but especially mm -hmm. books of fiction have begun with a, with a line that just comes to mind. Are there uh, any of them that you remember right now, I say this one was so shocking or interesting. Now I want to hear one of your opening lines. Okay. Well, <laughs> I might have to grab a book. <laughs> Uh, well, and I'll tell you, um, uh, the, the one that comes to mind right now is a book that actually came out in 2009. So it's been a few years ago, but it's a book that continues to sell, which uh, I, I think speaks for itself. Uh, it was a very gray February day. And I was, you know, I live in central Florida, so we don't get a lot of cold days, but but when it does get cold, it does get cold. And I'm sitting out on the back patio uh, in, in a rocking chair, it's a front porch rocker that came from my great grandparents' house. Mm. And the day was so gray, so overcast, so cold that it reminded me of the day we buried my Uncle Jimmy. Mm. Uncle Jimmy lived in that house. He lived in, and died in that in that house, that particular house. Um, he died in February. This is up in Georgia. It does get cold. Yeah. And when we were at the funeral, as we were, you know, as we were around the grave and they were lowering the casket in the grave, it began to snow and it wasn't a hard snow. It was just, you know, those first few flutters of flakes that just kind of float around you. And um, the thought came to my mind. It snowed the day we buried Uncle Jim. Hmm. 
not the kind of snow that drives itself sideways, blinding you. This was angels dancing on air. Wow. And I jumped up and I <laughs> down the hall. <laughs> you wrote it down. <laughs> wrote it down. Yes. And, uh, and it, it became the first line to um, uh, Things Left Unspoken. Now, my last book, Dust, my last novel, Dust, um, began with the line, I never really received a marriage proposal. And uh, and that came about because I was listening to Pandora, listening to 70s music, the music <laughs> I somewhat grew up on. I was a young adult during that time, a teenager to a young adult. And the song Dust in the Wind came on. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think about those days of being newly in love and mm-hmm. then engaged mm-hmm. and realizing I had never received a marriage proposal. Mm-hmm. And so I think the way it ended up now, this was not, this did not end up being the very, very, very first line in the book, but the first line to the first chapter, sure. uh, which is um, I never received a marriage proposal. Well, not really. Uh-huh. And, and then I went into how, and I, I was just writing, you know, like how I was proposed to, mm. and then all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, I've got something. Then when there was a character that, that, kind of rose up out of the ashes in this book. And, but he didn't come in until later on. And I realized, oh my gosh, this guy is so critical. I've got to get him to the beginning of the book. Hmm. And I decided to go all the way back to his wedding day in 1965. The book opens in 1977. So I wanted you to see what was happening with him on his wedding day. And um, it's Atlanta and it's, it's in the summer and there's no air conditioning. Oh, yeah. Right. And so, you know, and it's like, I'm in a tux, you know, and, ah, you know, he's pulling at the bow tie and, and, um, and, and he's very excited about, he's finally getting to marry um, his, his girlfriend. They've been dating for seven years, you know, and they're finally getting married. And so he's, he's pretty excited about the whole thing. And, and so um, Rachel Halk and I were talking because I told her, I said, I, I hate this opening line. I don't hmm. remember what it was, but she said, she said, Eva, it's got to have something to do with, Atlanta and being hot and and Patterson being hot for mm. his bride, you know, and just that that whole thing of you know this is what the groom is thinking, this is what the bride is thinking, and so I I thought about going with the wind and how Atlanta was on fire. Oh, huh. I I think the line began something like Atlanta um, was on. I think it was. I think it starts. Atlanta was on fire, and so was Patterson Thacker. <laughs> And, you know, and so blah, 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 blah. Something like that. I can't remember the sure, exact. That's all right. No, but it's but Rachel and like I, that. we tossed it back and forth and back and forth until we got it just where we wanted mm-hmm. it. And, um, and I, I love that, that, you know, I have a, I have a good writer friend who is willing to play, you know, that volley, that ball back and forth with me until we got it right. No, I think it's interesting. I mean, you brought up a couple of really fascinating points just in the examples that were on the top of your head or whatever. And, you know, one is that it was uh, a character in a specific place. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of, you know, all of those ideas were a very specific location, a character, and that the character was experiencing something emotional, uh, yeah. you know, the death of this person or marriage and all of these things. And, and uh, so I like that you start your books right off with a character we can identify with he's in love or he's lost someone that he cares about and those are powerful emotions in a very specific place and i think that specificity is really important 
I know you write some Southern fiction. And I was curious, yeah, if, if setting and, and being in the South, if that ends up being kind of a central aspect of some of your stories. I think, I think it has to be. Uh-huh. Um, I, I wrote for a long time um, about just characters. I didn't necessarily place them anywhere in, you know, in particular. Um, now, my first set of novels, it was a um, three-book series. They were set in a small Georgia town. Mm. Right, what you know. Um, and, and then after that, I wasn't so specific, but I was writing the Potluck Club books with Linda Evans Shepard. And one of my characters is from Georgia, but she was living in Colorado. And every time I would write that character, I just fell right in. It was, it was seamless. It was flawless. It was effortless. It was just, you know, I was like, this is writing. And, and it hit me one day, this is who I am. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm of Southern people. I know Southern nuances. I know the Southern locations. I know the differentiations in, uh, e- you know, even in dialect and yeah. it just those kinds of nuances. And so um, I said to Vicki Crumpton, who was my editor at Baker Revell, I said, you know what, I just, I want to take just this little bit of time off, just a few weeks. I want to see if I can't figure out who I am as a writer. I don't want to go away forever, but I just need to know who I am as a writer. And I came back and I said, Vicki, I'm a Southern writer. That's what I know. Yeah. So how can I not write about, about the South the way I know it? And that's to say that every book has something to do with the Civil War, which everybody right. thinks, you know, or people eating fried chicken and, you know, spitting watermelon seeds off the front porch. That's not what I'm talking about. The, the South is its own character, just like the North is its own character, or the, the Midwest is its own character, the specific Northwest is its own character, and that kind of thing. So it just, it just has to become so organic within the story that the reader is almost not aware of it at all. Yeah. So it sounds like you're not setting out to, I, I mean, it sounds like you're just setting out to be authentic, to be honest yeah. in your stories. You know, it isn't yeah. like you're trying to be someone you're not. Like you said, write what you know, which a lot of people will say, oh, write what you know or whatever. And I'm like, or know what you write. serial killer uh, novels. <laughs> and right. actually, I don't really quite know exactly how it. Yeah, yeah. But, well, my uh, first character, my first main character, Stephen, you may not know this, but my first main character and Chip, Chip McGregor always teases me about this. Uh, it was a, a, an exotic dancer. Oh, there you go. Absolutely nothing about it. But I had to, you know, I did a lot of research. I interviewed. Yeah, I bet you did. I did. I, I interviewed a lot of exotic dancers. Um, I And those who were still in the business, who were no longer in the business. I live in Central Florida. So where I live, you know, because of, you know, the tourism, there was a lot of that in those days. I mean, it was like right here at me. And, and so getting people to talk to me about why they entered into this line of work. And, and for many of them, they're, they're students. How yeah. I'm going to law school, I'm putting myself through law school, you know, that kind of thing. And then others have gotten into it and they can't get out because they'll never make the kind of money they're making, oh, you wow. know, but, yeah. but um, it's, she's, a, she was an exotic dancer. Then, you know, she is kind of like that. I'm putting myself through law school, but then it was that, that thing that was following her. Hmm. And, and so, you know, they always talk about um, your first character, your first main character of your first novel is usually autobiographical. And if Tim McGregor is anywhere in in the vicinity, he looks. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but I, I, I remember the night I was interviewing this one gal, and 
she is was actually a professional. Um, like I mean, as you know, like a, a, an executive. Sure. And this is what she did like one night a week. Huh. And and she said, you know, this is our mad money. My husband and I go on trips to um, Hawaii or whatever, you know, off of this money. And I said, wow, you, you know, you must be making some pretty good money. She said, oh, I average about $1,500 a night. And she said, and I don't even work like full time. I just work a few hours. And I, I kind of said, <laughs> I'm in the wrong business. And she said, well, honey, come on. She said, I'll, I'll introduce you to the right people. And we're on the phone, right? I said, no, 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 no. I said, uh, you don't understand. Um, I, I would be too embarrassed. And I mean, that, that would just never happen. Never in a million years would that happen. And so she said, don't worry, the lights are dim. I says, no, sweetheart, the lights would have to be off. <laughs> <It's gonna happen. laughs> so, but, you know, it was, it was great that I, I got that rapport, but, but I also got to see um, like, you know, for some of these, these women and, and mm-hmm. men who go into it, they go into it for one reason and then they get caught up in something that they never thought they would get caught up in. And of course, that was exactly what I was going for sure, because it's a suspense wow. story. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, that's pretty interesting. I like that. I, like that. <laughs> I was like, I know nothing. <laughs> but you know what? So I never had to walk into one of those places. I never did. Um, I just talked to them. I sure. just, with that, you know, can, can we have a phone conversation? Can I talk to you on the internet? You know, can I, you know, uh, meet you off somewhere, you know, um, you know, someplace public where I felt comfortable. Um, and I just I really found that most of them were, you know, they wanted to go to school and they they had no other way to go to school and that kind yeah. of thing. Or in some cases, they really did get caught up in something bigger than them. It was interesting. But yeah, but you you got to know them as people. Yeah. Hear their stories. And, yeah. you know, when we talk about research, a lot of people do like to talk about what they do or what they're interested in you know sometimes people will say well how do you do research you know for your books and whatever like that and a lot of times I say you know what I just ask people and if someone is fascinated by well like let's say a police officer I might say look I'm writing a book there's a police officer I want to make it authentic could I take you out for lunch yeah. Most of the time he'll be like honored oh oh yeah yeah that'd be amazing they love talking about what they do yeah yeah. So, um, so as far as that goes, I feel like, you know, being well-researched is important for characterization. Um, yeah. One thing I was just thinking of is that when I first met you, I think it was through your storytelling, not through your writing so much. Now that's one of the neat aspects I think about what you do is you actually speak and tell stories, also write stories. A lot of people are good at one or the other, like not criticizing anyone, but it tends to be someone is a writer. Maybe they're a little more introverted or something and they, or maybe someone is a performer and maybe someone else helps them to write and so on, but you actually do both. Now, when you get up in front of an audience, kind of what's going through your head, as I know, you're like, you know, you want to connect with them. You want them to be impacted by the stories that you tell and so on. Talk us through that. Let's say someone's listening and is like, okay, look, I'm going to be presenting, telling stories. What are some hints that you might might pass along to them? Well, I think I think you and I are, are on the same page with this. Um, if you ever hear me speak, if you ever hear me keynote, I should say, <laughs> I'm going to begin with the line, I want to tell you a story. Hmm. I always begin with story. Yeah. Because the story is everything. If we want to get to know someone, we listen to their stories. Mm. 
my grandmother was a fabulous storyteller. I, in 1993, I got a camcorder and I went to her home in Glenville, Georgia, and I set it up and I just started asking her questions. And she told one story after the other, after the other, after the other. I mean, I, I learned how she was, you know, courted, my grandfather courted her Mm. the day they got married. Uh, I I got a story on each one of their seven children. We laughed until we cried. We cried until we had nothing left inside of us. Mm. It was all about the story. And I, I realized then, which I wasn't even a writer at that time, uh, you know, not professionally. I realized because of that moment mm. that if you can get someone to tell you their story, the character will come out. Mm. So if you get to know the character, then <laughs> the story will come out, right? So when I stand up to, to speak, Uh I first want to draw an audience in. And how am I going to draw an audience in? I'm going to tell them a story Hmm. because we'll hold on to that. And you want to tell it in such a way as to draw people in. So you don't want to read anything. You don't, you know, you, you really truly want to draw them in with that story. I have found that to be true even when I'm writing articles. Hmm. Uh, If you start with a story, you will hook a reader. So if I have to write a story about any number of things that are academic, even mm-hmm. you can start with a story, you will, you will draw the reader in immediately. But if you just start with facts and figures, yeah, you know, even, you know, even Wikipedia has got this figured out. <laughs> you look up any, if you look up any person in Wikipedia, they're going to start with where they were born and who their parents were and this kind of thing. And something about their education, they're just kind of building up this little story hmm. about who they are or who they were. And, and, and really, I just think that's the key. I just I just think you've got to hook people with a story. And it doesn't even have to be your own story. Yeah. <laughs> it's else's story, you know? Um, so when you are asked to speak at an event, a, a writer's conference or a women's conference, whatever it is that you might be uh, doing the keynote at, what are, what are the questions that you ask yourself beforehand where you, you know you're going to have 30 minutes and there's going to be a thousand people there, whatever it is, what, what's going through your mind as you prepare maybe a checklist of some of the, 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 the keys that you want to make sure you cover? I think the most important thing for me to ask the director is what are the needs of your people? Because That's every true. group is going to be different. Um, I just was recently asked to speak at a women's group that's is coming up this next month in April, um, which I haven't, this is my first one since COVID, you know, because <laughs> everything got shut down. So there, uh, there, there was none of that. And, and I said to her, you know, what, what specifically would you like me to address? And she said, you know, I think we need to find peace. Hmm. It's silence. Hmm. Too many of the women in this group are frenzied. Hmm. And we just need to find that peace that comes in silence. Well, I said to her, it's interesting that you mentioned that because <laughs> I, I actually just wrote something about that. There you go. So afraid of silence. Hmm. Why are we so afraid? Why do we walk into the door and turn on the TV immediately or get in the car and turn on the radio immediately? Oh, my goodness, if the tunes don't work, you know, Um, what is it that makes us so afraid of hearing 
the of hearing our own voices, you know, our our, our own voice, I should say, not voices, because that's a whole other topic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but but I think it's that when we go into the the quietest places, our heart begins to speak to us. And if you want to call that the spiritual side of yourself, then that's yeah. what you can call it. But it's that that inner voice that begs to be heard. And we don't often like what it's saying. And so we drown it out with conversation, with TV, with radio, with sports, with whatever we can do. But there's there's nothing like that embrace of silence. And I think it for writers, especially, this is when we get to know who we are as a writer, as a person. As a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a parent, a grandparent, whatever it is, a neighbor, a friend, all those things, that's when we get to know who we are. Mm. Um, But we're afraid of it. I had an event years ago in Tennessee where I was speaking. And I said, to it was the same type of thing. And I said to the ladies in the group, I want you to embrace silence for 30 seconds. No. One minute. Uh-huh. So I'm looking at my watch and I'm going to say, close your eyes and I'm going to say, go. Right. And when I say, stop, you open your eyes and you will have experienced one solid minute of silence, yeah. which goes a lot slower than you think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I right, close your eyes and go. And within about five seconds, I see the shadow of a person get up, walk across the back to where the sound system was uh-huh. and turn on this beautiful instrumental music, uh-huh. very, very low, but yeah. very, you know, and I thought, see, huh. you can handle it, right? Ah, that's crazy. Music. That's interesting. But I said silence. Yeah. Because we were like, we were in Tennessee, we were up on a mountain, there was not a, there was no traffic. The only thing we had were nature sounds, that was it. And so when I said, and stop, and I said, how was that minute of silence? And someone said, it wasn't silent. Yeah. And I said, then let's do it again. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But see, that's what I'm talking about. So, yeah. So if I'm going to tell... If I'm going to speak this month, what story do you think I'm going to start with? I think you're going to start with the story of silence. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's great. No, I love that. That's um, I, when you were telling me that it made me think of a book um, that I read. I, th- I think that the author's name is Peter Kreeft. Maybe it's Kreft. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but but it was about Pascal's work back in the uh, mm. uh, 13th, 1300s, I, I believe. Yeah. But, but he had challenged people. He basically said that people fill their lives with distractions mm-hmm. and diversions. Mm-hmm. And so his example was, if you went up to a hunter and you said, look, why do you go hunting? The hunter would say to get meat or a deer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, what if I would give you the meat for free that you would get if you went hunting? Would you accept it? Most of the time they would say no. He said, because they're not going for the meat, they're calling for the diversion. So they don't have to do what you just said. That is, Mm -hmm. think about their lives. Like 
So they fill their life with distraction and diversion. And then you look at our world today. It's pretty interesting, I think. Who do we pay the most money to? Those who distract us. The distractions, yeah. Sports yeah. heroes. Absolutely. Stars. Those are the ones yeah. who, who yeah. divert us, distract us. And we pay them a lot of money. Outlandish amounts of yeah. money yeah. to keep us from stillness. Yeah. I mean, even a book is that. It's yeah. something to divert us. It's something like I'm reading a book right now called My Dear Hamilton, which is I'm, I'm not sure who wrote it, but it's uh, uh, based on the story of Alexander Hamilton's widow. Hmm. And, and, it, and it begins when she was, you know, Miss Schuler, and um, and she's surrounded by people like Benedict Arnold and George Washington and all this very well researched book. Absolutely fabulously researched. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking as I'm reading it, geez, you know, we're. We are not in the middle of a war, but the world seems to be in the middle of a war based on the war that's going on somewhere else, and we're all being affected by it. And as I'm reading the things that that they were struggling with because of the American Revolutionary War, I'm thinking, wow, you know what? We're we're certainly not the first ones to be affected by war, you know. And um, this generation is not, and the, my generation, your generation, et cetera, going on down the line. I mean, I grew up every night listening to how many were dead in Southeast Asia, you mm. know, or how many oh. were missing in action or wounded or mortally wounded and that kind of thing. That was like the normal thing for, for us to grow up on. And, and, uh, and so it's, it's always been that way. And yet it didn't affect my day to day. This is affecting my day to day. The American Revolutionary War was affecting the day to day of the average colonist. And so as I'm reading, I'm thinking this diversion is actually making me realize that history just keeps repeating itself and repeating itself. But it, it, I picked up a book to be diverted. <laughs> I was, I'm not hundred percent diverted here, you know? <laughs> but that's what we do. And I think that's why we write our stories, isn't it? I mean, it's to just to give people um, something else besides their own lives to worry about or to think about. Sometimes a little more interesting, sometimes not, you know? Yeah, I, I, I interviewed um, uh, the author of a book called Into the Woods, John York, <gasps> a, yeah, a little while yeah. ago. And um, there's a quote in it. I wish I remembered, who, but he, he quotes the person who said this, but she wrote, it's not a smile, it's a lid on a scream. And I was like, that is powerful. And it's just like, when we write stories, we that tap into that deep part of being human, like what you were just mm -hmm. talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, we, when, and sometimes when we find ourselves in sounds, when we find our stories in sounds, we can share them. And sometimes in normal life, we smile or whatever, but it's not a smile. It's a lid on a scream. And we just want yeah. someone to notice, to hear, to be there. And yeah. I think when we can tell stories that tap into that, they can be really powerful and resonant with people. That was my whole point with dust. With dust, I was looking at the fact that, okay, yeah, I've done some things in my life. I've, I've written some books. I've led some conferences. I've, you know, spoken, I've given some keynotes, whatever, whatever. Um, but I'm 65 years old this year. And I'm looking at things like, if I had not done that, if all I had ever done was be a wife and a mother and a grandmother, would I have left a legacy? And the answer I believe is yes. Yeah. But and I proved that with dust, but um, I think too many women and men 
get to a certain point in their lives and they think they look back and they say, gosh, I never accomplished anything. I never did this or I never did mm. that. You know, maybe my brother did, but I didn't, or my best friend did, but I didn't. And I wanted, I wanted to really deeply look at the fact that every single one of us will leave a fingerprint or a footprint on this world when we go, hmm. every one of us, whether we mean to or not. Yeah. And we make the decision as to whether or not that's a positive fingerprint or footprint or a negative fingerprint or footprint, but we will leave something behind hmm. when we go. Um, no one comes into this earth, into this world, and then leaves it without leaving a piece of themselves. Mm. Even those who are here only for the briefest of moments wow. will leave a piece of themselves. You know, so um, I think about my friend uh, um, who lost a, it's been two years ago now, they, they, their first child was born. I think they were married like 10 years before this child was conceived and he he lived eight days and oh. he was beautiful, beautiful baby. I'm telling you, he looked like a doll. He was so gorgeous. And everyone was praying. There were issues from the start. Everyone was praying and praying and praying. And, and, you know, God chose to, to take Jack's Jackson home uh, and, and just, no, 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 <laughs> he's too good for you people. You know, that's the way I look at it. But um, yesterday was his second birthday. It would have been his second birthday. Oh, wow. And um, mom and dad posted a photo of him. And I'm telling you, Stephen, this was the most beautiful baby you have ever seen. And I still, I weep over this child, but I was more moved by the strong countenance and faith of the mother and father hmm. who said, you know, we're not going to be bitter. We're not going to be angry, et cetera. So this little precious baby with only eight days to his life affected a whole litany of people, sure. countless numbers of people because of social media in this case, but, but everybody leaves a fingerprint. And that's what I wanted to look at with dust. You know, we, we all leave something behind. And what, yeah, what will the legacy be? That's, that's a powerful you know, image to think of. And also, you know, I don't know what's not really a message to get through, but it's a definitely a question to get us thinking, which yeah. I think powerful uh, stories do. Um, That's exactly why we do it, right? Yeah, we want yeah. people to think. We want people to go deeper than, than the distracted thoughts they typically have. Yeah, the, um, um, yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. You made me think of different, uh, lots of different stories when you're telling that story. So I don't want to get us off track too much. <laughs> but, um, but one thing I did want to ask you now um, was, I know you've worked, I don't know if you're doing it right now, but you have worked as an acquisitions editor, as well mm -hmm. as an author. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just curious if you've seen any trends, maybe in the publishing industry or the publishing world. Um, that you could comment on, or maybe red flags that you as an acquisitions editor noticed and said, oh, this manuscript isn't ready to get published yet. That might be helpful for people, mm -hmm. you know, as they say, I want to get an agent or editor or something along those lines. Yeah. Well, um, I'm actually in the process of editing the last work I will acquire. Uh, I, I said, I'll, you know, I'll finish up with this and, and, uh, and then I'm done. I feel like God is just kind of pushing me in another direction here, there but you, yeah. you know what I, to answer your question, um, you have to hook readers. 
Hmm. Just you have to hook listeners. You have to hook readers. Yeah. And a lot of times what I find in the work that would come my way was that you wanted to bury me in backstory. Ah, yeah. Know all about that, right? <laughs> to bury me in backstory and not start in Medias Ray. Hmm. You, you know, it, it's just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what, what's, what's happening? Um, and that is a common mistake of new yeah. novelists. They want to info dump and they want to tell everything there is to know about this character. Page one. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, how you've got to hook the reader, you've got to hook the editor, you've got to hook an agent. It starts typically with an agent and then with an editor. Mm -hmm. And then if you can hook one, you can hook the other, you can hook the third. The other thing that I try to reiterate too, uh, to, especially to new writers, is a no is not a no, it's a not here or a not right now. Hmm. Think about, and, and we, we quote this story all the time, I'm sure, but we all know the story of the help hmm. and how many times she submitted it was like 63 times oh, wow. to this book. Um, and every time it would come back to her with, you know, those times that, that it had the, if you do this, I oh. think we'll have something here. She would go back and rework it. Oh, wow. Get mad. She just reworked it. She kept reworking it. Mm. And the 63rd time was the charm. I think Catherine Stockett is her name. Yeah. Mm. So uh, that's persistence. Uh, a no is not a no forever. It's a not here or a not right now. Um, the other thing, of course, is know, know the craft. Yeah. It's not just telling a story. It's showing a story. It's mm. pulling the reader in and making them one of the characters, mm. which is so different. If you read, I like, I like a lot of the older books. I like a lot of classics and yeah. tends to be very omniscient at times. They tend to be very omniscient. Uh -huh. and we warn against that, but then <laughs> there are times when, oh, I'll tell you this great story. When I was working as an acquisitions editor, um, I get this email one day and, and the entire proposal was in the body of the email. Oh, wow. That's a yeah. long email. Yeah. That's a long email, right? <laughs> and so I, I was like super, super tired. And I, uh, I was like, oh, you know, okay, this is somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. So I just shot back, do you have an agent? Because we typically only worked with agented authors. Yeah. And she shot back and said, uh, no, do I need one? And I, I was going to email her back and say, yeah, you, you know, you might want to go to a writer's conference, da, 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 you know, making some suggestions here and there. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to throw this author a bone. I'm, I'm going to read like the first paragraph of her work <laughs> and, and either say, you know, work on your craft a little bit, or I think you've got something here. You know, I'm, I'm going to encourage the author. I started reading. I, I just skipped down all the details of the book proposal itself. Yeah. You know, I was finding yeah. it. Got right to chapter one started reading, my mouth fell open. Hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have got to get this book. So I called an agent friend of mine and said, I got to read something to you. So I read the first paragraph and she uh -huh. said, where did you read that? And I'm like, <laughs> I have an agent. And she goes, okay, put us together, put us together. <laughs> so That's great. we did. And we ended up publishing Her name's Claire Fullerton and the book was Morning Dove. It is one of the most beautifully written books mm. I have ever immersed myself in. Wow. And, yet, you know, to start over, she didn't know what she was doing as far yeah. as bidding to a, an acquisitions editor. 
but that's okay because she knew how to tell a story. I think what you just pointed out is super important. And that is editors, agents, I think are looking for something to love. And if they find it, you know, they'll be passionate about it. So many people ask me, you know, well, how can you get an agent? How can you get an editor? How do you get published or this or that? And, you know, I'll just basically say, write something that blows them out of the water, you you know, and, and, um, and if you do that, you'll, I think it noticed, but, but I also like what you mentioned earlier about perseverance, like this, uh, Mm -hmm. this one author you mentioned, you know, went back and actually reworked Mm -hmm. her story as much as possible. And, um, and so you bring up, you know, perseverance, positive attitude, don't look at it as a no, look at it as maybe not right now or in this place and so on. So attitude, perseverance, hard work, craft, all of those things are really vital, I think. To It, it is. It's not just one thing, is it? Yeah. Um, now, also, I know that you consult with authors uh, with, your, with your organization, Pen in Hand, and mm-hmm. also you're part of the president of Word Weavers International. I was wondering if you could just sort of mention a little bit about word weavers and then the work that you do in case people out there are, you know what, I actually want to really work with, uh, maybe join a word weavers group or, you know, work with uh, Eva Marie. Well, you can go to word-weavers.com and find out more about word weavers, but uh, we just began as uh, five uh, writers here in the Orlando area sitting around a dining room table saying, hey, how can we help each other? How can we how can we be iron sharpening iron? How can we look at each other's work and 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 give solid critique and um, and not shred somebody, but, you know, say, hey, I, you know, uh, you, you becoming repetitive or this is a rabbit trail or, you know, whatever. I think this would make it stronger. And then this is what you do well, because mm-hmm. don't we love to know what we do well? Um and so now we are a 501c6. We're all over the world. We have over a thousand members. And uh, um, somehow or another, uh, I was blessed to be the president of Word Weavers International. Um, uh, we were just Word Weavers Orlando for the longest time. There were, oh, like wow. I said, there were five of us, and then there were seven, and then there were 10, and then there were 15, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, and then we grew to, to be an international uh, group. For those... Um, who are who live remotely or who are unable to you know get in the car and drive that kind of thing or who live in another country uh we use zoom now we started off mm-hmm. with Skype and then there was google hangouts and now we're we have uh several zoom licenses so that's how we we do that but we're just all about writing education and we're about getting people to conferences we are about making sure your work is polished and that mm-hmm. you come off as, as a professional um, so that's that's very important to us. Um, uh, can't get you published, but we'll do everything <laughs> up until that point. I cannot guarantee you anything, but we will do everything we can to get you to the right to the right people and get your work ready for those right people. Um, as for my uh, my company, Pen in Hand uh, Incorporated, uh, basically I coach fiction. For the longest time, I was editing both fiction and nonfiction. Um, I don't. I don't personally do that anymore. What I do is coach uh, those people who want to know more about how to write fiction. I I have worked up uh, a, a ten week program and that kind of thing. So I work with people doing that. But I uh, but I have editors who work under me hmm. who are like you know uh, 
they're more professional with writing children's books or oh, nonfiction uh-huh. or, you know, um, uh, spec fiction and that kind of thing. So I have, I have some pretty good writers who work under me. And, um, and so, you know, if it's not me, I'll make sure I get you to the right person. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit about those two things. <laughs> yeah, no, that's excellent. So anyone who's listening, if you're a writer, no matter where you are in the world, you can connect with Word Weavers International. If you're looking for encouragement, practical tips, maybe, um, you know, friendships uh, that can, can help uh, coach you as you grow mm-hmm. and as a, as a writer. And also, um, you know, contact Eva Marie, if you're interested in more in a, of an in-depth program how do they get in touch with you Eva is it um, through your website yeah you can uh, contact me through my website and let me just clarify this it's Eva Marie Everson author.com uh, for the longest time it was Eva Marie Everson.com I let that go for like 10 seconds and oh, so no. and <laughs> uh, and the thing is is I've done my research there is not another Eva Marie Everson in the world. So I'm I'm going to have to trademark my name, Stephen. If you can believe that, I got to trademark my name <laughs> to get this person to go away. But so if you go to evamarieeverson.com, it's all about juicing and and buying furniture. That's not me, okay? <laughs> um, but if you go to evamarieeversonauthor.com, you will find me. You'll find out more about uh, my work and um, and just you know uh, so, some of my blogs. I I don't I don't do an awful lot of blogging. Um, I try to make those as specific as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, and not just blog for the sake of blogging. But um, yeah, you can reach me through my website. Well, I encourage people to do that and also to check out your work, your writing. I know that you've mentioned a couple of times your your novel Dust which is, I think it's being re- relaunched here um, it is. This, yeah. this spring. And so that would be a great place for people to start with your books, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it, it's just, you know, we all, we, the fa- our favorite book is always the one we just put out, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard. It's so hard to say. Um, and I, I do have a special place in my heart, though, for Dust. And I think it's because I did work so hard on it. And uh, um, it, it just, it, it really speaks my heart mm. that we are not, we are not living on islands by ourselves. You know, that, that's so, that, mm. that whole saying, no man is an island, no man stands alone. Um, we do leave a legacy. We make the decision if it's going to be a good one or a bad one. And sometimes we're just doing the most ordinary things and we're leaving the most extraordinary fingerprints mm. at the same time. It reminds me of a story that I heard uh, back in the day where there's this young man who basically his dad took him fishing. Like he took the day off to take his son fishing. Mm-hmm. And so the boy was like, this was the most amazing day ever. I got out of school and I spent the whole day fishing with my dad. And so then apparently he stumbled across his dad's diary or something and um his dad had written total waste of a day all i did was fish with my son and so you're just like what so it devastated this boy who that had been the highlight of his year and so what you say is true we do we leave an impact and an imprint on people and it can be positive and it can be negative um and so i think the key is you know, thinking through that impact and trying to put it in a positive, positive way, you know, and, 
And, yeah, it goes back to, um, you know, one of the, the things that that kind of resonated with me was many, 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 many years ago, like back in the early 90s, I heard Oprah Winfrey say the most important job in the world is the mother. Hmm. You don't get more important than that. A yeah. mother's job is the most important job in the world. Now, my thought is there's there's a second job, and that's the job of a father. I think those two work in tandem. They should sure. work in tandem. Um, raising children is a hard job. It's getting harder every day. I wouldn't want to raise one today. I can tell you that. <laughs> it was hard enough when I was raising mine, but man, they just, there's just so much that you have to be on top of, right? But but what if you look back and you thought, well, all I ever did was raise a kid. But then let's look at that kid. Yeah. And that that kid's children and so on and so forth. And what happened from there? It's just, it's just that whole thing of the butterfly flaps its wings mm. and causes a hurricane in Florida. Was it, it flaps its wings in Africa, causes a hurricane in Florida or something like that. <laughs> when you mentioned this, I just remembered I was at a coffee shop just earlier this week and I snapped a photo of a quote mm. on the wall. And so I'll read mm -hmm. it and we'll wrap up with this. But All right. it's from C.S. Lewis, who actually wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. Yes. And anyway, he said, children are not a distraction from more important work. They are the most important work. That's right. I thought that was pretty powerful. I took that photo when you were talking. I thought of that. And that's so, that's so cool. And yeah. I'll tell you something, too, Stephen, because we were talking about the, the impact of story. I was just at a conference, a writer's conference not too long ago, and the keynote speaker, I was a keynote speaker one morning. There was a keynote speaker the night before. She told a Stephen James story, and it was already in my notes to tell a Stephen James story. And I said, Diane and I did not get together and make this plan, but this just goes to show you how important stories are Yeah, because we're telling the Stephen James story. And and when I think of you, I think of that first time I met you, I think of this story with the snake. That oh, you my goodness. Yeah, and, I know, you know that story. See, I'm telling you, story will stick with people. It will <laughs> it's 20, what was that? 20, almost 20 years ago. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was 20. Yeah, it was 20 years ago oh next year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Eve Marie, thanks so much for taking the time here. I know our listeners are really going to benefit from mm -hmm. just listening to your insights. Also, hopefully reaching out and being a part of some of the programs that you've put together. Thanks. I appreciate uh, that. We're excited because you're coming to our conference to speak later this fall. I am. The, oh, I forgot to even mention, but yeah. Florida Christian Writers Conference is the yeah. name of it, I think. Yes, That's, yes. Uh, in maybe October. October, yeah. People can register and I'll be speaking down there. I'll be coming. Yeah, you'll be keynoting. You'll be telling your stories. I sure will. So yeah, people are interested. If they're any, you know, anywhere in the South, that'd be a great conference to come join us. Or anywhere at all. We've had people yeah. come from other countries. That's right. So yeah, looking forward to that. So um, also for more info about our uh, guests and to check out other interviews, everyone can check out um, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts or click to thestoryblender.com. So I want to thank all of our listeners and I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on Friday evenings. And in closing, I'd just like to remind you to tell your stories well. And always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.